Hi everyone, this is Herb Montgomery from Renewed Heart Ministries, and I want to make you aware, as before we begin this week, of just two things we have going on this month uh, at Renewed Heart Ministries. Number one is our Shared Table 2021 event. We are so excited to be offering this again uh, for our, our monthly partners. Um, uh, we had to cancel it last year because of the pandemic, and we're just so excited to be able to be doing this once again. This will be our third year doing it, and uh, I just want to make sure that everyone out there is aware of it. You can go to our website, RenewedHeartMinistries.com, and it'll be the first thing you see there on the homepage, a shared table 2021 for Renewed Heart Ministries. And also, I want to remind you that we have Giving Tuesday 2021 coming up this month. I believe it's on November 30th. We'll be sharing more about that as we continue throughout the month of November, Um, but uh, just a heads up up that that's coming all donations on that special day to renewed heart ministries will be will be being matched uh dollar for dollar and so uh, uh just prepare for for those um uh, if i can think of anything else we'll mention it over the next couple weeks but for now go to renewedheartministries.com and uh, check out uh, the uh, shared table 2021 event and what we're doing leading up to uh, giving tuesday this year all right blessings to all of you enjoy this week's episode episode and I'll see you next week. You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast, a podcast where we talk about the intersection of faith and social justice and what a first century Jewish prophet of the poor from Galilee offers us today in our work of love, compassion, and justice. To support this podcast, go to renewedheartministries.com and click donate. Poverty is a matter of human responsibility. We create it and we can change it. If we choose to interpret Jesus' words as the latter, then we too are called to address poverty. And and that's the life-giving interpretation. The other interpretation, it bears the fruit of poverty being inevitable or unchangeable. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Jesus for Everyone podcast. My name is Herb Montgomery, and this is episode 396. Our title this week is Declaring War Against Poverty, and our lectionary reading this weekend is from the Gospel of Mark. It's Mark 13, 1 through 8. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, Jesus replied. Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, and John asked him privately, tell us when will these things happen and what will be the sign that they're about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still not come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginnings of birth pains. So by the time this week's reading was written, the Jesus movement was living in the wake of 
of destructions uh, that were involved in the Jewish-Roman War of 66 to 70 CE. And that war, remember, culminated in Rome's raising Jerusalem and the Jewish people to the ground. These followers of Jesus, they're trying to make sense of all of these events. Their whole world has been turned upside down. Mark's gospel, therefore, paints Jesus as critical of Jerusalem and the temple as the the capital seat of the temple state, um, to the point of foretelling their destruction, actually telling it ahead of time. Each gospel's version of the Jesus story describes Jesus at this moment as critical of Jerusalem and the temple. Mark even includes Jesus's criticism as one of the charges that are brought against him in his final trials. In Mark 14, 57 through 59, it says, Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands and in three days build another not made with hands. Yet even their testimony did not agree. So I want us to wrestle this week with why Jesus, who was a faithful Jewish male in the early first century Judaism, uh, why he would have been critical of the temple or of Jerusalem. And think of the term Jerusalem here in much the same way that that, that many say D.C. Or, or Washington when speaking of the system of government that's centered there today. Christians have long interpreted the events of 70 CE as God's punishment to Toward the Jews for rejecting Jesus. And I want to be very clear, that's been a deeply harmful interpretation to our Jewish siblings. I want to offer an alternative interpretation this week. The temple was at the heart of Judaism during the time of Jesus. But let's not look at this week's passage um, in, 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 in just merely a religious context. Let's look at it in its historical, more than a religious context. As the seat of the Jewish temple state, the temple was also the heart of the banking system and the food industry, both meat and grain, um, the seat of, of political power for Judea under Rome. Jesus's criticisms, they, they should not be interpreted as being anti-Jewish or anti-Judaism. Jesus was a faithful Jewish man debating within his own society and his about what it meant to be faithful to to Torah and his voice remember was not one of was he was just wasn't alone he was one of many who at that time were arguing about what it meant to be a faithful Jewish follower of the Torah given especially the Torah's teachings on the poor and eliminating poverty and seen through this lens and given Given Jesus' love for the poor within his own society, Jesus' criticism of the state was a criticism of a system that had both created poverty and then further exploited those who were forced to live in that poverty. Those living after the Jewish-Roman War of 66 to 70 CE would have recognized the events described in this week's passage. As we've discussed, the, the Jewish-Roman War began an initial, it began as an initial uprising of the poor against rich temple elites. And these were the elites who served as conduits of the Roman Empire. 
The poor people's revolt, it began with their overturning the temple and burning all the debt records held against the poor. Each stage of the takeover, though, it escalated. And once the Jewish rebels gained control um, and Rome was brought in, a war broke out between the rebels and Rome, while the Jewish elites futilely endeavored to maintain some sort of allegiance to Rome as, as violent uprisings erupted all around them. Joe, Josephus corroborates Mark's descriptions of this era. In in War of the Jews, he describes a, a great number of false prophets he talks about who with, uh, he mentions signs and wonders, promised deliverance or, or liberation. But in the end, their movements only resulted in masses of the what Josephus calls miserable people who followed them being slaughtered by Rome. You can find that in Book 6, um, Sections 285. 5-309, and Josephus also writes of, of, of a famine in Jerusalem that resulted when the grain storehouses, which would have been sufficient for a siege of many years, they were burned by various treacherous factions in the in the city and then you'll find that in book 5 sections 21 through 26 and finally Josephus describes the burning of the temple itself in some detail and that's in book 6 sections 249 through 266 many more than Jesus called the people uh, to address the the plight of the poor and to end a system that benefited wealthy families at the poor's expense the rich were getting richer and the poor were only getting poorer. So Mark's gospel called its audience to see the overthrowing of such economically exploitative systems not as the end, but as the beginnings of birth pains for a new world. And this makes me think of how many, so many, are living at this stage of the pandemic now today, and how many long for a return to normal. And to be honest, I don't want to go back to that normal, a world that disproportionately harmed certain sectors of society while giving others privilege, power, and property. I don't want a post-pandemic world that looks like the pre-pandemic world. We can do better. And we have an opportunity to do just that now. With all the talk of, of building back better, we have to also hold intention and continue to ask and make sure, ensure that we're building it back better. Ask the question for whom? Who are we building it back better for? Over the last years, the billionaire class has only become more wealthy despite almost 5 million lives being lost globally and over 740 plus thousand here within the U.S. So Jesus's critique of the temple and Jerusalem, again, it wasn't about being against Judaism. It was rather his opposition to an economic, political, and social system that creates and then worsens poverty. I wonder what Mark's Jesus would say of, of the United States today if he were here on earth. Jesus's path, it pointed us toward life, life to the full, we read in John 10.10. 10. 
especially for the poor. We find that in Luke 6.22. It was life and life more abundantly for all. In the Gospels, we get a picture of a, a Jesus who focused on sustainable, or if you want to call it eternal, life. And that Jesus would have criticized any system that created luxury for a few at the expense of the many. Following Jesus' path, it means following Jesus in rejecting any system that manufactures scarcity in order to create wealth at the expense of vulnerable people. I'm reminded of the words of liberation theologian Gustavo Gutierrez this week. In his book, The Power of the Poor in History, page 44, he writes, The poor person does not exist as an inescapable fact of destiny. His or her existence is not politically neutral, and it is not ethically innocent. The poor are a byproduct of the system in which we live and we and for which we are responsible. They are marginalized by our social and cultural world. They are the oppressed, exploited proletariat, robbed of the fruit of their labor and despoiled of their humanity. Hence, the poverty of the poor is not a call to generous relief action, but a demand that we go and build a different social order. Gutierrez's words, I think, resonate with Mark's picture of Jesus. What would a different social order look like to you? As we covered last week, Jesus had just uh, uh, expressed um, his critique of the system that was devouring widows' houses. We have the story of of a widow who was sacrificially giving and how the system was taking advantage of her piety. And, and then we move right into this week where Jesus says, listen, systems that do this are not sustainable. One stone will not be left on on another. So, so can again, can you imagine a world without poverty? What would a different social order look like to you? One that is sustainable? Uh, what would it need to have in place to eliminate that poverty? Jesus's gospel spoke of a, a God of life who loved all and desired life to the full for all the objects of that love. Are these just words? Do we who follow this Jesus really believe that a world like this is possible? Can poverty really be overcome? The child tax credit that has already lifted 40% of children here in the U.S. out of poverty um, is a start. The U.S. just approved billions of increased dollars for the U.S. military budget. I wonder what would happen if we apportioned that same money instead toward a war against global poverty. It's convenient for Christians historically to have interpreted Jesus's criticism this week of the temple as being about Judaism rather than being about addressing poverty. After all, poverty is a matter of human responsibility. We create it and we can change it. If we choose to interpret Jesus's words as the latter, then we too are called to address poverty. And, and that's the life-giving interpretation. The other interpretation, it bears the fruit of poverty being inevitable or unchangeable, and therefore it is unequivocally the fruit of death and harm. I'll close this week with the words of Nelson Mandela from a speech that he gave in 2005 at the Make Poverty History Rally in London's Trafalgar Square. Uh, Nelson Mandela uh, stated, like slavery and apartheid, 
Poverty is not natural. It is man-made, and it can be overcome and eradicated by the action of human beings. Heart Group application this week, number one, share something that spoke to you from this week's eSight or podcast episode with your heart group. Number two, over the last couple weeks, we've been discussing what life-giving sharing, sharing of resources, what that looks like. Are there societies that, in your opinion, are managing wealth disparity well? And what is it about those societies that you like? What are the things in those societies that you feel still need addressed? And what parts would you like to see reproduced here in the U.S.? And discuss some of these with your group. Number three, what can you do, big or small, this week to continue setting in motion the work of shaping our world into a safe, compassionate, just home for everyone? Thanks for checking in with us today, right where you are. Keep living in love, choosing compassion, taking action, and working towards justice. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week. Thank you.